Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Straight Out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. This week we're reflecting on the win against Leeds that briefly sent the Blues top of the table. We'll look ahead to the final Champions League group assignment, a reunion with a former boss on Merseyside, answer your questions and more. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic, this is Straight Out of Cobham. Welcome along then, listener. Matt Davis-Adams here with my Chelsea chaps to talk through another successful week in the world of the Blues. Liam Toomey is here. Hello. So too, Simon Johnson. Hello. And not forgetting Dominic Fifield. Hey, Matt. How are you doing? Uh, Before we begin, let me remind you that right now, if you subscribe to The Athletic, you can give another subscription as a gift for free. It's the perfect present for any football fan this Christmas. Enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. Wave goodbye to 2020 and say hello to 2021 by sharing the gift of The Athletic's unrivaled football coverage for the whole year. It's the perfect present for yourself and someone else. Go to theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod. That's theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod and sign up. All right, first stop for us today, Saturday's win against Leeds. So the return of one of English football's fiercest rivalries took place on Saturday as Leeds United visited Stamford Bridge for the first time in 16 years. 2,000 Chelsea supporters were on hand to witness it live, as was Liam, who covered the game for The Athletic. Uh, We'll get to that first. Here's Reclusive Boy tweeting the show, though, to ask for some tidbits on the atmosphere. Uh, Liam, it sounded noisy on my telly. What was it like in the stadium and and did everything run smoothly? Yeah, it did. Um, I think it was it was all pretty seamless getting the fans into the ground. Uh, the ratio of stewards to supporters was probably a lot closer to one to one than it is normally at a football match. Um, but they got all the checks done. I think they all brought all their you know, medical questionnaires and, and, and so on. And they were all in the stadium in good time for kickoff. I think a lot of them actually tried to get in early tried to make sure they were in the stadium early and quite a few of them took the opportunity to give Edward Mendy uh, a nice a nice little welcome. He hasn't really got to meet any of the Chelsea fans yet as he, as he was warming up with the goalkeepers and then all the other players got a nice reception when they came out to warm up as well. I think there was a fair bit of excitement from a lot of the fans that were there um, just at being in a football stadium again, being back at Stamford Bridge and having a chance to to let this team that has been playing pretty well recently, um, feel a bit of love. And that didn't really dull even when Patrick Bamford scored that goal out of nothing in, in the first four minutes. There was a there was a moment of stunned silence, but then I think they got straight back behind the team. And um, there were only 2,000 of them in there, but they, the noise was pretty good, in part because of the fact that any noise they did make sort of reverberated around the, <laughs> the empty stands and uh, and generated a, a decent atmosphere. But it, on the whole, it was just really nice to have some organic noise 
from the stands at a football match again. And uh, we all know it has to be sort of done in a slow, uh, safe way, but it was it was a nice step back towards normality. Dom, I heard uh, Gary Neville on commentary for Sky on the North London Derby on Sunday saying he could see how it could be scaled up reasonably quickly to the kind of six, 8,000 mark for getting supporters in. Do you, do you think that's something that, that is immediately in the plans or is it is it going to be stuck at 2,000 for a while? I'd be second guessing, to be honest. It's I imagine it's in all the, the club's plans because it's in their interest to get more that they're making losses at the moment, uh, getting 2,000 fans in. Um, that's not going to cover their costs for match day experience, but... So in, it's there in, in their interest to, to get as many in as as is possible, um, and and as soon as possible. But but you know we can't second guess the virus, unfortunately. I mean, God knows what it's going to be like in this country post Christmas. Um, so let, let's everything's everything's moving in the right direction. You'd like to think um, vaccines rolling out, etc. Um, it's only going to go one way, but it it'll go that way in its own time um it's, it's great to see supporters back bear in mind that at some stadia that they're still not seeing any because of the tier system so let's let's bask in having a few in at the moment and and hopefully we'll move in the right direction over the rest of the season and then hopefully next season please 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 let's uh let's get back to something more approaching normality to the game then, Simon. Liam mentioned the, the Patrick Bamford early goal. Good moment for him against the club that he was contracted to, although never got to play for. But but also interesting to see Chelsea having to respond to adversity after conceding a goal. Not something we've been used to of late. No, although they, they have done that once before uh, against Sheffield United also at home. It's a very similar early goal going behind. Um, and, I, and I think that's, that's almost a... A better example of of why Chelsea should be taken seriously. It's all very well winning games when everything's going your way, but to to respond to adversity, to respond to a setback, is is a, a really positive sign. And and let's be honest, the the kind of chances that were missed, not just Timo Werner, but <laughs> he he obviously gets a special shout out. But Chelsea really could have um, won by quite a lot. I mean Leeds. Leeds looked dangerous in the first half on, on the counter, but you wouldn't say that Mendy was um, too busy despite their pressure. Chelsea with Giroud um, continuing his form in Giroud. I think I tweeted he could have had four goals inside 20-odd minutes. He, he, he sort of, good job he wasn't in the, the kind of form he showed against Sevilla if you're a Leeds fan, because, um, yeah, he missed a few too. Um, what I thought was very, very significant is Chelsea becoming the first team to outrun Leeds. I think that's a really indicative of the way Chelsea played and clearly the way they were set up by Lampard is to, to really outwork Leeds and it, it's some feat to actually do that. And I think I heard a stat somewhere that collectively as a team, they outrun 11 kilometres more than their average this season. So it sort of shows just how... Um, motivated they were, how prepared they were for the challenge of Leeds. And and I, and I do think that Leeds, um, getting a win over Leeds, whilst their position in the table might suggest otherwise, I think it is a, a very notable victory against a, a very dangerous side. Just wanted to contribute some XG news. Uh, <laughs> obsessed. Chelsea's XG of 4.1, according to Opta, against Leeds United was the highest for any team in a single Premier League game so far this season. So they played pretty well. I think probably Timo Werner was probably responsible for about three of those. 
Well, that leads us on to, to Twitter questions. Got one from VB Orney who says, how do you explain Werner's latest difficulty with scoring goals? He wonders if it might be fatigue. I've seen a lot of people, Dom, saying, well, at least he's getting in the positions to score the goals, which is um, kind of the cliche that people revert to for out-of-form strikers. Is there cause for concern or are the goals going to start to flow again for him? I, I would imagine they'll start flowing again. I'm not... I wouldn't be panicking. I think there's a lot in the whole position, um, his positioning and and his instincts. Um, I'm not sure he's a natural goal scorer by, by the look of things. We haven't we haven't seen. I mean, Liam or Simon might be want to refute this, but I, I, he doesn't look like a natural instinctive finisher necessarily. Maybe, maybe when your confidence is maybe taking a slight dip in front of goal, then that would explain it. But he could have left that that header from. Was it Giroud or was it a mixture of Leeds players and Giroud, um, and and allowed that one to 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 go in really? But he he was a, a player that was desperate to get back onto the score sheet again, and and that that's a con- it was a wonderful clearance in the end to be honest by the, by the crossbar. <laughs> but he just he's got so many other assets. I don't think it's a major major problem. And combined with the fact that this Chelsea team are going to create a lot of chances, I think I think his benefits to the to the team outweigh the the occasional glaring miss in front of goal and, and I'm sure when that first one flies back in again he'll 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 get back onto another scoring role I and mean, bear in mind that he he was doing brilliantly brilliantly well until a couple of weeks back I mean he he was he was prolific so it's not really much cause for anxiety I know we all want players to be hitting the ground smoothly and 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 running up cricket scores in terms of their goal tallies but you know these the, the the fella has got an awful lot of talent and is getting himself in the right positions and that, that goal will fly in sooner rather than later. A couple of other players who stood out, Mason Mount and Reese James. Here's Andrew asking, are you surprised at how quickly Reese has gone from quiet academy boy to one of the leaders in the first team? Is that a fair summary of how he is now, Liam, do you think? Well, he's still a quiet academy boy off the pitch. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's tough getting a full sentence out of him in an interview, but... Uh, he, he, he just becomes a different personality on the pitch. He's so imposing. I think he really intimidates his his direct opponents. Um, I think it was former former Chelsea Academy boy, um, Ian Pervader, um, made quite a bright start when he came off the bench for Leeds on the right-hand side. Then he switched over to, to Reese James's flank and quickly wished he hadn't because James was just bullying him, I think, at every opportunity. And he... He's just got such a physicality to his game, but also one thing I noticed against Leeds was he's really looking to maximise that connection with the fans during games. He, more than any other player, was constantly playing to them, trying to get them going after a big tackle or when he put in the cross for Giroud, he actually celebrated his assist um, wheeling away in front of the Chelsea fans before Giroud celebrated the goal. Um, <laughs> so he, he's got that kind of natural connection, as you would expect from someone who joined Chelsea so young. And he's he's such an imposing character. It's quite easy to imagine him as being a future Chelsea captain, um, at least on the pitch. I think he will need to come out of his shell a little bit off the pitch if he wants to do that. But Mason Mount has got a great a great personality in that sense as well, and he and he's very assertive on the pitch and and has that easy connection with the fans. So Chelsea are in a really good place when it comes to looking for their next generation of leaders, which I don't think you can necessarily say even a, a year or two ago. I know this is stating the obvious, really, and it should have dawned on me a lot sooner, and it probably did to a certain extent. But, but I've been doing a lot of retrospective stuff for for a piece this week 
a Chelsea piece and looking back at over the over the Abramovich era uh, and and this pining the club has had for ages to to produce the next John Terry through its academy, someone who was going to be a regular in the team, and to sort of sit here now and watch the likes of Mason Mount and Reese James and Tammy Abraham um, establish themselves and just look so good and assured at this level. I mean that is unbelievable. This is this is Chelsea's dream being realised here, and I know it's all contrived in, in in various different circumstances coming together to allow them this opportunity to establish themselves. But also you've you've got an awful lot of talent in that group of players, um, and it's been very very well coached out of them in the academy system. We we all know that that, that Chelsea's setup is first class, but it just feels like a moment. You, you go back go back three or four years. I don't think. I don't think it was we could have foreseen this. Not when Chelsea were going out and spending lavish fees on the likes of Bakayoko and drink water, um, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now they've actually got real homegrown talent coming through, and and that that will that will benefit them for ages, and it will it sets a pathway in motion again. And it's, I just think it's unbelievably positive thing to to witness. Yeah, and actually, Simon, the the captaincy thing, without wishing to get ahead of ourselves, is interesting. That red-haired dude wanted to know who will be the future captain out of Reese James and and Mason Mount. And actually, it might not be that long before there is a, a new permanent club captain. If you know, as is not playing much, Thiago Silva's thirty-six, and Jorginho can't get a look in at the moment. It might be one of James or Mount soon. Yeah, I mean, uh, don't forget Conte as well. Um, he's worn the armband, but he's not exactly a, a vocal leader. He sort of um, leads by example, as, as he did on Saturday. In fact, uh, just to, before I answer your question, uh, I just think um, Conte and Thiago Silva also stood out for me. Um, and I, I just think this is the what's so encouraging about Chelsea is that everything about them is is a great blend. You've got the youth of of Mason Mount, Reese James, etc. But you, you, you've got those experienced old stages that that you need for any successful side. And, and those two, I think Silva's just, on a weekly basis, I know I rave about him, but, but he, he was just class personified every time he touched the ball. And, and Conte, in fact, Bielsa said post-match that one of the issues was he couldn't, Leeds couldn't get the ball off the centre-halves or, or Conte. And, and I just think that's... That was a, a very significant thing for him to say. But as far as the captaincy goes, I've, I've said before that that Mason Mount is, is for me, sort of more of a potential captain. Uh, Rhys James, I don't think he could handle the the, the media part of the job. Um, <laughs> that would be the sort of the big of cross against his name um, being wheeled out on a regular basis in uh, in front of the likes of you, Matt. You know, it's uh, it, it, it can be quite an intimidating experience and, and unless he sort of... Just, changes that part of his game I, I'm not sure you'd want to put him on the in front of the cameras I know that's a some might sort of be listening to this thinking oh you know that's a pretty minor point but it, it can be quite a significant one if you're sort of got that burden responsibility of speaking up for the team over sometimes some very delicate issues and that's why I sort of really noticed how Mason Mount is regularly wheeled out forget forget his performances uh, which have been really on the rise um, since since the beginning of the season, but he's just very comfortable. Whenever Chelsea want to do a any kind of promotional thing, there he is. He's regularly speaking post match, pre match. Um, he just seems to be taking everything in his stride um, off the pitch as well as on it. And um, yeah, he's definitely getting ever more mature in front of our eyes. 
Liam, did Frank Lampard say anything about Hakim Ziyech after uh, the game? He went off in the first half injured. Well, he confirmed it was a hamstring injury. Um, I saw Ziyech come and sit down at the start of the second half. He didn't. He looked pretty glum, and uh, and a member of staff came over and, and gave him a, an ice pack to put on his, on his right hamstring. Um, but it's too early to know the severity of it. Um, by the time that you're listening to this podcast, we might have a little bit more clarity on 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 the nature of the injury. I mean, Lampard's going. We'll we'll speak before the the Krasnodar game anyway. But it's it's clearly a big worry because as many options as Lampard has, particularly in in the attacking half of the pitch, let's not forget Callum Hudson Odoi not even in the squad against Leeds for the the second straight Premier League game. Um, there isn't really anyone else that Lampard can call upon who does the things that Ziyech does. Um, and I think he, he'd very quickly established himself as pretty much the creative hub of this team. And so at a stage of the season when you've got so many games in a short space of time, Chelsea will miss him, even though they do have an awful lot of talent to fall back on. Dom, it comes back to the um, the drum that you've been banging for a while. This this is going to be a regular thing this season, isn't it? Unfortunately, it's it's not just Ziyech who's, who's going to feel a hamstring go twang, particularly in this month of December when when things are even busier than usual. Yeah, spot on. I mean, that's it's a shame to to lose him so early in this in this bank of fixtures, really, given the the clutter that's to come. But but that that is the reality. Um, and at least Chelsea have a a, a huge uh, depth of quality. In forward areas uh, that that can uh, they, they can compensate well they can they can make up for it to, to a certain extent. I know what Liam's saying; he is the creative hub, but there are options there. It might offer an easy way for Pulisic to get back into the team, or for Callum Hudson Odoi to get back in, uh, or even for Havertz to play in that role on 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 the right. So there, there are ways that Chelsea can get around it, and they don't need to rush him back. But uh, yeah, he will be missed still because he's a player of that that much quality. Uh, we've had a few questions regarding Kai Havertz and his slow start to life in English football. Liam, you've been writing about your favourite subject for The Athletic. <laughs> I have. I've resumed my um, long-form dissertation on Kai Havertz and his career at Chelsea in my latest match piece. Um, essentially, the point of that piece was was that, yeah, he's he's not playing brilliantly. I mean, he, I think he's playing better than than his critics would, would give him credit for. If you look at some of his advanced numbers, he's... He's creating chances for teammates and creating danger on a on a pretty consistent basis when he plays. Um, but it's obvious that he's still feeling his way in Premier League football, the intensity of it, having that split second less time to to make decisions. He's also still feeling his way as a number eight in this system because we have seen him sort of shunting, shunted around a little bit, probably more than any other player actually, um, as Lampard has tried to find the best configuration for this group of players. Let's not forget that he he also contracted COVID and according to Lampard, he had significant symptoms. He wasn't asymptomatic. So I think we have to give him a, a little bit of time here. Um, it's also worth remembering that, yes, he you know he, he's one of the most expensive signings in Chelsea's history, but he's also younger than all of the academy players other than Reese James and, and Callum Hudson-Odoi, um, who are currently, you know, starting on a relatively regular basis so he's got plenty of time uh, and I understand there's going to be more scrutiny on him because of the size of the transfer and the hype that he arrived in England with Um, but there have been enough flashes of his talent I think to to show that there there isn't too much cause for concern. I also think that it's 
not that big an issue whilst Chelsea are winning. Like if if uh, Chelsea were losing on a on a regular basis, then I think there'd be more reason to be concerned, or certainly more reason for him to come under scrutiny in the best sort of way possible. The fact that Chelsea are winning with without um, Havertz sort of playing um, brilliantly on a regular basis, I think it it, it helps keep the pressure off him. Um, it, I think it'll only become an issue for Havertz or more of an issue for Havertz and more of an issue for Chelsea if they start losing games. Well, it's back to Champions League business for the Blues next. We'll look ahead to match day six momentarily. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. So Chelsea already guaranteed top spot in Group E after thumping Sevilla last week. This ahead of the game against Krasnodar at Stamford Bridge on match day six. Uh, we ought to have a, a quick reflection on that Sevilla game though, Simon. Is that one of Chelsea's best away performances in recent memory in Europe? I'm struggling to think of many better. Yeah, I, I think you, given the... Um... The history dictates that I think only Manchester City have, have, have won there in 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 the Champions League. Um, yes, Sevilla was it was a, a weak inside. Um, they had to change their goalkeeper at the last minute, but but Chelsea also filled a weak inside. Uh, well, technically, uh, made a, made a lot of cha- nine changes, and and that demonstrated the the strength of the squad. Um, but it was it was about the attitude. They didn't treat it like a dead rubber. Yes, of course, there's top spot to play for, but it was exactly the kind of response that, that Lampard would have been looking for, the majority of which were, were fringe players, to, to, to give him that response, to give him that headache. And, of course, Giroud was the the one that emphasised that point to the whole dressing room more than anyone else, that if you step up in, in what is conceded, uh, considered a, a less significant game, that it can actually change your fortunes and, and, and there he is starting against Leeds the next next game. So I just thought the way they played, the attitude, the goals, Giroud's goals were amazing, but they could have scored more. Um, very, very impressive and crucially secured that, that top spot in the group um, ahead of the draw next, next Monday. In terms of Krasnodar on Tuesday, we won't spend a lot of time on the game because it would have happened by the time a lot of people listen to this podcast. Dom, though, it's it's such a rare thing for Frank Lampard to have. He, he can rest whoever he wants in, in this game. It's probably the only time this season he's going to be afforded this luxury. Agreed. And I suppose he has to take into account things like players who are, are booking away from a suspension and just a quick glance down. Chelsea's squad list would suggest that Jorginho, Kovacic and Mount um, would, would be in peril. Um, he'd, he'd certainly want those guys available for the first knockout fixture uh, in the new year. So I'd be very surprised if any of them got anywhere near the pitch. Um, yeah, he can, he can experiment. He can just, he, he could play, I mean, he could even go as far as playing people like Lawrence and Andrew in if he really wanted to. Um, I mean, it's 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 that that much of an opportunity to to rest weary limbs. I mean, I suspect part of Lampard's mentality will be he, he won't want to to give up this or threaten this unbeaten run. Um, but to be honest with you, Chelsea's second string should get past Krasnodar, whatever team that Krasnodar put out. So it's it's a perfect opportunity to give the likes of Billy Gilmore some game time. I 
Kai Havertz again could get another run out to get some more games in uh, game time in his legs. Um, you know, the likes of Christensen um, and and Emerson at the, the back give give them give them another chance to play. We know Aspilicueta is desperate for games. It's it's it is a an opportunity for Lampard just to let these guys go out and express themselves and. And give him some food for thought for, for 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 the festive period period going ahead. You know these these are the, the fringe players that want to be involved at that point, so they need to state their cases uh, against uh, struggling Russian opposition at Stamford Bridge. Just to say, it's just been confirmed that Billy Gilmore is the player speaking alongside Frank Lampard at the pre Krasnodar press conference, which not always a hard and fast rule that the player talking plays in the game, but. That makes it quite likely in my mind that uh, Krasnodar at home could well become the Billy Gilmore show. <laughs> do we see Tamori, do you think? That's a good question. I mean, if you're not, if he doesn't play in this game, when is he going to play, realistically, before January? Yeah, it'd become much more difficult for Frank Lampard to pretend that, that everything was hunky-dory between them, I think, if, if he didn't play. Um, the other interesting one, Simon, question here from, from Plurisic. Who do you think will start in goal, Kepa or Willy Caballero? I, I would um, I'd be surprised if it's not Kepa because Chelsea have to generate some kind of interest um, in him uh, to remind everyone that Kepa still still exists in in many ways. Because <laughs> the and I'm sure Kepa himself would also um, be knocking on Frank's door saying, "Come on, you know, give me a chance, give me a game. Um, I, I need to be playing." Um, he must be very worried about his spot in. Spain squad for the European Championships, um, let alone sort of his his uh, club career, but of course with the the January window sort of round the corner, um, yeah, he'll he'll want to put himself in the shot window a little bit just to to remind everyone of um, what he can do. Um, it, it must have been a really difficult time for him the last few months, um, not only sort of reflecting on how his form has gone, but to to see Mendy just come in and 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 sort of turn Chelsea's defensive record around not single-handedly of course but but Kepa sort of become the forgotten man and and for for the world's most expensive goalkeeper to find himself in this position it must be soul destroying for him so to I I would like to see him out on the pitch I know some Chelsea fans might sort of um be sort of freaked out at the prospect um that the clean sheet sort of record and and the run they're on might might be in jeopardy but I I just think we're dealing with a human being here and, and he needs to remind himself of what playing football is all about. So I hope he gets his chance. Well, whoever starts against Krasnodar, one suspects Chelsea will be back to full strength on Saturday night when they head to Merseyside. We'll preview the game against Everton next. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. 
It's another eight o'clock Saturday night kickoff for Chelsea this coming weekend as the Blues head to the Northwest for a reunion with Carlo Ancelotti and his Everton side. This one of Chelsea's poorest performances last season. A year ago this month it was. They lost 3-1. Mateo Kovacic with his only Premier League goal. A rare bright spot in that game. It was Everton's first game post Marco Silva and under Big Dunk. Uh, on Kovacic, here's Manu asking, how crucial is he to the first 11? Will we see him starting ahead of Havertz in important fixtures since Havertz is young and will need time to adapt to the league? An interesting one, Kovacic, Liam. He came off the bench against Leeds on Saturday, but but he's really struggled to nail down a, a regular place this season. Yeah, this was the other aspect of the match piece that I wrote after the Leeds game was that the Giroud or Abraham conundrum got much of the um, limelight ahead of that game. But the other big selection dilemma that Lampard faces really now is is Kovacic or Havertz as the third midfielder in that three because N'Golo Kante is entrenched at the, at the base of the midfield and, and Mason Mount is playing so well um, that I don't think you can leave him out of any game that, that really matters at the moment. Um, Kovacic has looked pretty good when he plays. I think he, he he's looked to me as if he's making more of an effort to contribute in the final third of the pitch uh, because that's always been a big weakness in his game, making a lot more runs into the box. He's having a few more shots. He did try to recreate that goal he scored against Valencia in, in the last couple of games um, a few times. And we all know how good he is in, in possession and carrying the ball through the, through the centre of the pitch. So he's a very good option for Lampard to have. I, I suspect that when Havertz is fully fit, Lampard will still give him every opportunity to to grow into this team and, and into that third spot in midfield. But right now, um, I think it makes sense to, to favour Kovacic in the more difficult games um, when maybe Chelsea need that control in midfield as well because that that's the one thing that he really does provide that maybe Havertz doesn't quite at this point. Dom, you were covering Chelsea when Carlo Ancelotti was manager. Of course, Goodison Park was was the scene of his demise in terms of his, his Blues career. What will this game mean to him? Will there be extra motivation for him or does that not really fit his character this, you know, 10 years on from, from him being sacked by Chelsea? I don't think it will play a massive part in in Carlo Ancelotti's approach to this match. I mean, he has he's he's come up against Chelsea once already, just prior to lockdown when they got thumped at Stamford Bridge last season. So, I think the emotional bit with his association with Chelsea has probably been played out now. Um, but there is, <laughs> it, it's it's a nice thing to reflect on. Um, I mean, he he was a very 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 popular. A manager at Chelsea um, and I still look back and I'm sure the, the Chelsea hierarchy and Carlo Ancelotti look back at that at that second season of his two and, and wonder quite how that bad moment extended for as long as it did because bear in mind what he achieved with the double in his first season and, and the number of goals that Chelsea was scoring and it, it was proper swashbuckling stuff probably the closest uh, Abramovich had ever seen to had ever come to to seeing that ambition of having a an expansive, uh, attack-minded um, side uh, under his ownership, and 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 for it to unravel in the way it did with that ridiculous, almost a three-month period in the middle of the season where Chelsea just couldn't buy a win, and and endured some pretty miserable and and baffling results en route. Um, none of, nobody saw that coming, but obviously we it, it was it was born of a 
variety of different things from Ray Wilkins's departure to to maybe a bit of upheaval in the transfer market in that January when Torres and and, and David Luiz turned up. But it's it's it is a, a good story in, in its own way. And but I still think people will look back at Ancelotti's time and he he behaved with such dignity throughout that, despite being effectively a dead man walking from from the January February onwards that season. He he went out with a lot of respect and 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 when it. It happened at Goodison Park. I know Chelsea refute that it happened in a corridor, but it it sounds as if, well, it, clearly that's where the the conversation started, uh, confirming his departure. It, it was it was a shame. There was an un, it was uh, there was a lack of dignity to that. Um, but he still took all the players back to to London. They went out to a restaurant, I think, that night and and and, and celebrated his. His two-year tenure with uh, with them, he made some really good friends and made a, a fantastic impression on on the club. And it's not as if it held back his career particularly, did it? I mean, he went off he went off to some pretty decent clubs in in, in PSG, Bayern Munich, and I think Real Madrid after that as well. So he's he's, he's not done too badly. So fast forward a decade, Simon, he's back in the Premier League with Everton. Are Everton any good? They started the season really well. <laughs> now now they've won one of their last seven. I can't quite make them out. They're always good against Chelsea, Goodison Park, or mo, or mo, you know, certainly many, many times they're good. So I, I've learned a long time ago that um, always take Everton's form book out the window when it comes to hosting Chelsea. I was there uh, a year ago um, and I was pretty, uh, I was already in a bit of a foul mood as it was because it was an early kickoff on the Saturday and it was the Athletics Christmas due on the Friday night. Um, so I couldn't attend because um, I wouldn't have been able to make it to Liverpool. Um, so I remember sitting next to uh, the, the Everton colleague and we were both um, already bemoaning the fact that we'd missed the Christmas do. And then I watched um, Andreas Christensen and Kurt Zuma play like they'd attended the Christmas do <laughs> as they got totally bullied. Now, Zuma's a different prospect now, but getting back to the point, there's me sort of having a personal rant about missing Christmas do's. Um, I, I, they, they are a, a strange thing, but this is Everton. They always seem to have a patch of form, then a then a reality check. Um, it seems to be the way way they've been the last few years. But in Calvert Lewin, um, Chelsea have a real concern, a real striker to worry about. He he still seems to be scoring goals. Um, James Rodriguez, um, okay, he's gone a little bit quieter after a good start, but. It's, a player of undoubted quality. Everton do have the players to cause cause Chelsea problems, but you know Chelsea do have um, a lot of threats themselves. This will be a test, another test. Um, I'm sure we'll be saying this on a weekly basis, but but um, getting a win at Goodison Park has, has, has been proven in recent years to be a, a, a tough prospect for Chelsea, and of course Everton fans will be there so for the first time for them. So. It, it will be um, a tough afternoon for them. Evening, rather. I Do you say. think that you look at Chelsea's wide options, though, even without Ziyech, and given where, given that Everton have struggled, they've lost all their fullbacks to injury. They're going to be opportunities there. For, I mean, if, if Alex Iwobi is playing left back and and Ben Godfrey playing right back, I mean, now that they've lost Delft to a hamstring as well, there's a vulnerability there that Chelsea should exploit. I mean, they really should. Unlike Simon, I did attend the Christmas party. Um, had a, had a good time, um, and then because I didn't attend. Was, well, <laughs> didn't want to say, but um, then was dreadfully hungover the next day, and ended up watching the 
Everton game on my phone in a Nissan car dealership in St Albans while waiting to interview Jose Bissinger. Oh, yeah, that was it. (laughs) Not often you wake up in a Nissan car dealership waiting to interview Jose Bissinger, is it? (laughs) Oh, I didn't wake up there. That that would have been a better story, though. I'll embellish that for next time. Oh, well, who knows what state the chaps will be in when they're watching the game on Saturday night. Uh, eight o'clock kickoff. We'll react to it next week. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, uh, the men's under-23s beat Leicester 2-1 on Friday night. That thanks to a late Henry Lawrence winner. And the women's team earned a 3-2 win against West Ham in front of returning supporters at Kings Meadow. That courtesy of a Sam Kerr hat-trick. Uh, Liam, she needed that. She did, yeah. She's had quite a bad time in front of goal. Um, probably worse than Timo Werner. Uh, over the last couple of months. But um, a bit like Werner, actually, um, Kerr has kept getting into the good positions. Her movement has always been excellent. And of course, you know, playing in this Chelsea team, she's always going to get that kind of service. So um, it was probably only a matter of time before she put in a performance like this one, but hugely encouraging for for Emma Hayes and, and Chelsea women going well. Absolutely. Right, that's just about it for this week. Before we go, let's hear what the chaps have been writing for Athletic subscribers to enjoy. Uh, Liam, you mentioned that you've been profiling Kai Havertz again. I have. I've been talking about Kai Havertz, Mateo Kovacic and that number eight position. Um, That's on the Athletic at the moment, so so make sure you give that a read. Um, I'm working on a piece. I know I mentioned this in last week's podcast. It was put back a week, but it will be running this week on... Um, some of Chelsea's academy boys and, and their dominant run in the in the FA Youth Cup. Memories of playing with Mason Mount, Tammy Abraham, Fikaya Tamori and the rest. So um, I'm looking forward to putting that together and give that a read when it goes up. How about you, Sammy? Well, um, stuff you can read right now. Uh, I feel like my specialised subject, uh, Olivier Giroud's Renaissance, I feel like I've written that a few times, but... Um, it looks like the encouraging sign is is that that him suddenly getting minutes post international break has, has led to some kind of breakthrough U turn, as it were, and and he's much more inclined to stay now, which would be a huge um, Philip um, for Chelsea. So I, I talk about that. There's a there's a, a piece I wrote um, with uh, on Jude, Jude Soons up Bell, uh, Chelsea's uh, academy striker. Um, I spoke to his parents, um, which was a very fun conversation. It was um, they're, they're a very fun couple, um, interjecting, interrupting each other. Couldn't have been more excited about their their boy, and, and understandably so, because uh, of course I was talking about his FA Youth Cup exploits, and that sort of was one of the reasons why I I did a piece. His, his four goals, the the first uh, Chelsea youth player to score in the Youth Cup, four goals. For fifty nine years, and he, and I got you know got them to talk about his um, their son's love of Ronaldo and and some of his uh, growing up anecdotes, um, how he scored thirteen goals against some poor man's thirteen year old son, um, who's probably still haunted uh, by that to this day. Um, and as for stuff I'm working on, um, it's a lot lot of it's for the future, so um, I can't really talk about that just yet. Good tease. Dom, you've been looking at how Patrick Vieira's managerial career has gone to mad. <laughs> <laughs> you got to reply in French as well, Dom. Wow. Pardon? <laughs> wow, yeah, yes. Um, it hasn't gone so well for Patrick in the... I mean, he did get two and a half years out of Nice, so it's not as if it's it's all gone pear-shaped um, in the in, in six months. Uh, it's It's been a, a slow 
progression and this this season has not gone well there, there were five defeats on the bounce um at nice um uh, culminating in their elimination from the europa league last week um to by a leverkusen and he got the chop on friday and it's just i wrote a piece just asking you know what happens next to him because he's still someone that's very very well respected within the city football group for for whom he, he coached at new york city um prior to going to league it's he's got a the next job he takes may may have to you may have to temper his expectations slightly and lower 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 the standards and, and, and maybe start rebuilding his, his managerial career at a lower base. Good stuff. Remember, right now, if you subscribe to The Athletic, you can give another subscription as a gift for free. It's the perfect present for any football fan this Christmas. Wave goodbye to 2020. Say hello to 2021 by sharing the gift of The Athletic's unrivaled football coverage for the whole year. The perfect present for yourself and someone else. Just go to theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod. That's theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod and sign up now. Many thanks to Dom, to Liam, to Simon and to producer Adonis, but mainly to you, listener. Stay safe. We'll catch up with you again next week. From all of us here, though, it's bye for now. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.